The Quarantine Chronicles. Welcome to Rage Against the Mainstream, your full spectrum source for all things music insight and opinion. This is episode number four of your new favorite mini series, The Quarantine Chronicles. Today is May 4th, 2020. So, how are you guys doing this evening or this morning? Depending on when, you know, depending on whenever any of these pretty listeners are listening. Doing well. Uh, I'm going to say, may the 4th be with you all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm more about the May Day vibe. Yeah, I'm all about Star Wars on these typical days. This is definitely the uh, time to go through uh, maybe all nine, but more than likely, I would say five of the original six in Rogue One. Nice. Yeah. And if you're looking to get, uh, you know, musically involved with the Star Wars uh, saga, there's a metal band you can check out called Galactic Empire, where they take all of the John Williams uh, composed masterpieces and basically turn them into metal or metalcore versions, which I believe can stand up to pretty much any kind of cover, really. I th- I think that for what it is and how they're able to basically turn this into basically a national touring act where these dudes dress up like fucking, you know, various characters from the series, I think that it's pretty amazing, really. Personally, I prefer the post-hardcore Death Star band, but I mean, Galactic Empire did pioneer the metal Star Wars thing. <laughs> so no, I'm just kidding. There's no such thing as the Death Star band. <laughs> it's actually a pretty good idea, though. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, have you guys heard or seen anything new or interesting in the past week? Um, I didn't mention this uh, last week, even though it's been out. Uh, for a period of time, it came out, I want to say like two weeks ago, was that uh, new Warbringer album that me and you have been discussing, Bill. Yeah. Uh, finally fully released. I was able to get through the whole thing since the last time we guys met. Um, and it's good. It's like, you know, like Black Dahlia Murder dropped their new album. Lamb of God's dropping new stuff. And then Warbringer, like I constantly just add all the new albums that are coming out. So when they come out, they pop up like on the first thing. So I was able to listen to it. And it, it's good. It's like... Like every 80s, 90s thrash band that you listen to, they're kind of like taking that sound and like recreating it, obviously, to be their own, but give you kind of like that comfort feeling that there's still bands that sound like, you know, their predecessors. So it gives you like new music by artists that sound very familiar. I mean, they sound like Demolition Hammer. Like Municipal Waste has the same sound, too. Um, but they give you that old school, you know, thrash sound and like keep it quality. Good. It's a good listen. It's nothing crazy, but it's a good listen. Fucking A. What about you, Connor? Um, I'm going to recommend my buddy's new band, um, LCD 10. They just put out a tape called pleasure for everyone. Nice. Um, you could check out, um, the pigs one plus two, maybe. Sweet. Um, my newer interesting actually isn't new, but it's definitely interesting. Um, after the passing of suicide silence, vocalist, Mitch Lucker, The band took it upon themselves to have a benefit concert in his honor to basically pay for, you know, funeral expenses and basically have a savings for the daughter and wife that Mitch had left behind. This show was basically like a greatest hits show, if you would, from basically the whole catalog of Suicide Silence at that point in time. 
with every song, they brought out different vocalists and various other musicians to basically be part of the backing band or whatever. And, um, you know, they had everyone ranging from like, you know, uh, Phil from fucking Whitechapel to Tim Lambesis from As I Like Dying, Randy Blythe from Lamb of God, Austin Carlisle. They had a bunch of fucking dudes out and did this shit. They had uh, Rob Flynn from Machine Head. He was out there and played a few songs with these guys. But probably the standout and the interesting thing is they had a live recorded version of Suicide Silence covering the Deftones engine number nine, which is a fucking insane cover to begin with on the studio didn't version. They do that, didn't they do that cover a while ago? Yeah, but what they did was the band played it live and they had a pre-recorded audio track of Mitch doing it. So it was like they played like one last song with him, like as a band, I guess, because at that point in time, the band's future was unclear before they made the terrible decision of getting Eddie from All Shall Perish and basically the band diving farther into shit and no one cares to listen to them anymore. But if you have the chance to check it out, it's called um, uh, The Beginning is the End or The End is the Beginning uh, Mitch Lucker Memorial Concert and then check out Engine Number 9, a good Deftones song and also a pretty good fucking cover by Suicide Silence. Yeah, you had sent me that video, Bill, with the... um, With Randy? You Only Live Once with Randy Blythe and like, you know, my feel about like suicide silence, like the backstory and everything like that on the benefit, obviously you can't knock that. It's really inspirational. It's really cool and stuff. You know, suicide silence as a whole, they're just not, not my brand of metal, I guess you could say, but the Randy Blythe set that you showed me, that was actually pretty fucking cool. I think it's just like Randy brings that like level of energy and due to the circumstances, like it was actually a decent watch. Dude, he could be in front of the fucking wiggles and he can get a fucking yeah, group dude. of four year olds to start circle pitting. Yeah, he's just got that level of, I mean, it's just for his age to be up there the way he is, it's like, it's not even like awkward to see someone like him move around like there. Like it really just, you can't help but move when you go to a Lamb of God show. And this video or the one that I sent you was actually right after he got out of the Czech prison. Oh yeah, that was, he wrote that fucking song on the latest album before this one. I forget what it was called, but yeah, that was like all based off of that when he got something with like immigration papers or something. Yeah, or they, man, thought he he got was, fucking, they thought he killed somebody or something. He, he got like caught up in some weird fucking, he threw a kid yeah. off stage or like pushed him off stage and the kid tripped and fell and hit his head and died of a brain swelling a couple days after. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah so yeah. that's right. I mean, if this were an American show, they would just be like, Oh, okay. Yeah, this idiot Kid jumped off stage. Into. Exactly. I mean, you think about like Gigi Allen concerts. You didn't see that guy sitting in fucking front of courtrooms. I mean, I'm pretty sure he like rape people, like physically actually rape people on stage. Well, Connor might know better than we do. Like how how is like the like the law system in like Czech and shit like that, Connor? Are they like are they like worse than we are? Uh, it's probably about the same. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, if you guys maybe could... a little more strict. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. So pretty much, if any of you listeners out there haven't heard it yet, I would go out and check that out. It's called uh, "The End Is the Beginning," and pretty much any of the covers that or any of the songs that are on there are good. But the the Deftones cover of Engine Number Nine is pretty fucking sweet. So yeah. I guess let's get into on this day in mini music history. Do you want to? Uh, yeah. 
I'm going to start this one off, Connor, because this is a this is a good topic for you. Yeah, sure. Um, hold on. Sorry, I didn't pull up the. Uh, all right, I got it. 1970, later memorialized in the Neil Young song, Ohio, the United States National Guard fires on protester at Kent State University in Ohio, killing four students, two of whom weren't even protesting. The shameful event in American history leads to the formation of Devo, as Mark Mothersbaugh and Jerry Casal are both on campus and horrified by the events. That's wild that something like that can basically create Devo. Well, what's yeah. interesting, too, is that Devo gave um, Neil Young the idea for the title Russ Never Sleeps because apparently Neil Young was like an early proponent of Devo and they were already playing in Devo and they were also working as um, like ad jingle makers and they were working for Rustoleum and they were trying to make a jingle call that went revolved around Russ Never Sleeps and Neil Young like asked if he could use it or something. Oh, shit. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Then obviously yeah. we know the story of Devo and fun fact with Devo tool actually took Devo as an inspiration when they started their band. Really? We are Devo. Yeah. They know, they know Dave Devo is one of their inspirations in the book. I read on them as like, you know, obviously their influences before they started actually cool, but they all had huge influences driven from Devo. Another, I think Mark Mothersbaugh made the music for Rugrats. I was literally just getting ready to say that. I was gonna. I was gonna say like another fun fact. You remember that show Rugrats? <laughs> <laughs> oh, everyone remembers Rugrats. Oh yeah, yeah. You, you either had to be under a rock, or you had to have parents that idiot. didn't believe in TV to not know what Rugrats you'd a, was. You'd have to be a fucking idiot to not know what Rugrats <laughs> is. <laughs> yeah, you have to be a Honestly, fucking though, idiot. Dude. Yeah, I'm trying to even think like kids that like my sister's kids and stuff. They still know Rugrats. Dude, everybody knows what Rugrats is. Adults yeah. and children alike. I mean, yeah. we're basically almost in our fucking 30s and we're talking about it. Yeah, it's true. Someone, uh, someone taking us into the 90s or am I going? I'll take us more? into the 90s with David okay. Bowie. Yeah, Take it. In 1990. <laughs> Uh, one of Connor's favorite artists, David Bowie's ex-wife, not true. Uh, Angela <laughs> goes on the Joan Rivers show and says that she once walked in on Bowie and Mick Jagger naked in a bed. How shocking! Angela the man's a signed, sexual deviant. <laughs> Angela signed a gag order when she divorced Bowie that kept her from talking for ten years and was taking advantage of the opportunity to finally. Damn. I also want to clarify, he's not a sexual deviant because he was in the bed with Mick Jagger. He's a sexual deviant because he's a pedophile. <laughs> Prayed on young women. And so was Jimmy Page. However, uh, you know, that's Connor only one fourth of Led Zeppelin, too. He wrote, that's he wrote one Stairway fourth to of Heaven. Led Zeppelin. Yeah. That's, one, that's one fourth of Led Zeppelin. Completely different story. <laughs> Three out of four members of Led Zeppelin were completely fine, upstanding young men. <laughs> Speaking, John Bonham was practically a saint. Yeah, yeah. okay. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely a saint. <laughs> Speaking of upstanding young men, in 2012, Adam Yock, a.k.a. MCA of the Beastie Boys, dies of cancer at age 47. In New York City. Rest in peace, Adam. Yo. Crazy that was eight years ago. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. 
even crazier what i mean not to be fucking um selfish or whatever because obviously this pandemic is a pretty big deal what i'm actually pissed off about is now we have to wait for this fucking beastie boys movie uh, I'm kind of over the Beastie Boys. I still want to see the the documentary though. Yeah, yeah, that's how I feel about it too. I mean, the Beastie Boys for me are just kind of like, I mean, there's no, there's never like a real moment where it's like like certain artists that kind of like fit into that genre don't give me, you know, the same level of quality as the Beastie Boys. But them as a whole, like, I never really like am dying to listen to the Beastie Boys. Like Paul's routine, yeah. I'll listen to that. I'll fuck with that album, obviously. I mean, I might have a moment or two, but they're never. They're never like in rotation for me, I guess you could say. But that documentary, hell yeah. Like, I, I like them enough where I would definitely be interested in seeing that. Oh, fuck yeah. Sabotage yeah, came on today communi- and I fucking got into it. Ill Communications, yeah. probably my favorite. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you can't hate the Beastie Boys. But yeah, they just don't give me like a level of fucking excitement that some other bands and artists, I could say, would. Well, it just depends. I mean, I don't know. Like, I have a couple of Beastie Boys songs on my Spotify, and, you know, when it's skipping yeah. through songs or whatever, and, you know, some shit, like, a fucking Beastie Boys song comes on, like, today. Fucking, like I said, Sabotage came on, and it instantly took me back to that, like, nostalgic time where I remember hearing Sabotage for the first time and thinking, like, holy shit. Like, that was, like, like this is fucking nuts. Can't stand it. I know you can't it. And plus to find out that they played that they played the fucking instruments on that track and then played it live on Saturday Night Live. Like, that's cool to me. Yeah. Like, it's like, uh, I don't know. I mean, you never see like rap artists actually performing their songs. And then you see the Beastie Boys fucking coming out there and fucking actually being a band. And it's like, oh, shit. Well, they started off as a punk band and then rap started taking off more so in the 80s than punk did. So they said, all right, fuck it. Let's do rap. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. But they they took that direction and kind of went the right way. But then you got to obviously think of like some other artists that kind of transcended with that idea of blending rock and rap and giving that same type of vibe. And I'm not going to name the artist, but we have one in mind that totally ruined that idea of a genre. Well, I mean, (laughs) there's bands that didn't ruin it either, like The Roots. Yeah, of course. Yeah, or like, Rage Against the Machine. But here's even so. He even so though, dude. I will probably overall like I would probably listen to the Roots today more than I would listen to the Beastie Boys. Yeah, hundred percent. Like I really, there's something. There's like a level of more like talent and like seriousness that comes from the Roots that makes it that much more enjoyable. Yeah, it's almost like the Beastie Boys were like a satire of like yeah. rap, yeah, and excess, exactly. And I think that's the thing—they never went full like to be a satire. So you still have to appreciate them as artists, and I do. But like you put them up, like I said, compared to especially someone like the, like a band like the Roots, yeah, it's just a different level of talent and musicianship. Yeah, I, I can definitely, I can definitely stand behind that. Yeah. Now, like, like Quest loves that dude. I'm gonna say that. Oh fuck yeah, dude! Quest loves awesome. He has yeah. like a weirdly shaped body too. He's kind of shaped like a pear, <laughs> or like a cupcake. He's shaped like an upside down. Do you cupcake. think Questlove is shaped like a pear? Hit us up on our social <laughs> media. <laughs> like, dude, you oh, can't man. you can't tell me you didn't stare at him one time. And go like, man, that dude's fucking like oddly shaped. Yeah, I, get, I can get down with it that. It looks like I he's guess. wearing like a fucking pool float. I'm <laughs> like underneath his jacket. 
Maybe he's got fucking like an ulcer. That's like I don't know, dude. He's probably got health issues. Let's not hate on Questlove at this point in time for his oddly shaped body. Oh, I'm not hating on him. I'm just saying, like as a <laughs> as a music fan, like I'd rather, like I'd you know, I'd be drawn to listen to the Doors because I want to hear what this goofy shaped motherfucker is able to play. True. And now to get into our main topic. Speaking of oddly shaped bodies, <laughs> our main topic today is. Uh, now, the way we'll break it down is, all right, prominent artists that were once in very established bands that then later established solo careers and were either A, successful, B, okay, or C, like there was a total shit show. All right. So, I mean, we have we have a list. Basically, Every Ramon was a total shit show. Every <laughs> single one. Yeah, we, yeah, you could say that. Like, but I think what we should do is is kind of come up with rattle off a few and then come to a general consensus, like have our each individual like who was in a band that was thriving and who had an equal, if not better, solo career. OK, so what do you, do we want to take turns? Do you just want to have a general conversation? Who well, wants- you can start it off and then like kind of rattle off some and we can discuss them. And then, like I said, we can probably just come down to a general consensus. All right. Well, I mean, if we're talking about solo artists that were in successful bands that had either gone on to be as successful or if not more, you can't have this conversation without mentioning Ozzy Osbourne. You really can't. I mean, especially, you know, like you think of the impact that Black Sabbath had. Granted, Ozzy did not have that that uh, impact as a solo artist. Ozzy Ozzy probably sold more. Oh, Ozzy definitely sold more. But like I'm saying, though, like obviously Ozzy's solo career doesn't have as much of an impact in like music history as Black Sabbath does. But. Yeah, he definitely sold way more and became a household name. Like if Ozzy never went on a solo career, like it wouldn't be like, oh, that's Ozzy Osbourne. It's like, oh, that's that guy from Black Sabbath. Well, it's also yeah, too. When Ozzy, you talk, uh, he's more famous than Black Sabbath is what I was going to say. More people know the name Ozzy Osbourne than Black Sabbath exactly. or even just Ozzy. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if you think especially too now with like what he did with Post Malone, like experiencing to a whole nother generation. But you figure most people our age and older will know Ozzy hand in hand with Black Sabbath. Like well, Black Sabbath, people from the nineties know Ozfest. Yeah, of course. Or That's even the T V show. But, but even those yeah, people TV like show. in the nineties, and I'm not hating on newer generations, still didn't carry the level of ignorance to realize like, all right, if you look up Ozzy Osbourne, more than likely if you, at any point you're gonna know Black Sabbath. Or if you're going to Ozfest and you ever get in a conversation like, oh, who's this based after Ozzy Osbourne? Yeah. And then if you ever get in a conversation like Black Sabbath's getting brought up at some point, even if you're just talking about Ozzy Osbourne. Oh, exactly. Now, you know? if we want to talk about someone else, I mean, we all have our separate opinions on this next artist. I know where you're going but, with this. Yes. But you have to think about the career that he had had. He started out as the singer of Montrose. Then bro, he really didn't have that much of a career. What? <laughs> I said, bro, he really didn't have that much of a career. So anyways, he he was the guitar player and singer His in Montrose. Pretty much Van Halen. Then he went on to a successful solo career before Van Halen. Then he was in Van Halen. Then he had a successful solo career after Van Halen. And now he's in another successful whoa, band whoa. after Van Halen. Yeah, after Van Halen, he had successful solo albums, 100%. I don't know about successful. I mean, just because he decided to put out more solo albums. 
Okay, well, maybe not to the level of VOA or 5150 or OU812, but they were still not fucking total trash albums. The singer, of course, is Sammy Hagar. It's it's a crazy story when you think about it because of the band that he was in. And you have many bands that even we look up to that would cite Montrose as a major influence. So Mm. not only has that happened... But then he, you know, he had the solo career. He blew up. He was he was as big as Van Halen before he even joined Van Halen. And that's a fucking fact. VOA was was had sold higher than 1984 before he joined. Well, of course, VOA had I can't well, drive 55 I mean, on it, but still. VOA is only platinum and 1984 is 10 times platinum at the point in time, though. The la- the last time that uh, Sammy Hagar went even gold was the album after that. I never said goodbye. His solo career began to tank after that. Okay, especially during the Sammy Hagar and the Wabaritas uh, era. Well, regardless, the best shit he ever di- the best shit he ever did was Chicken Foot. And now he's in the circle. Saying. Chicken foot. Yeah, chicken foot with Joe Satriani. <laughs> yeah, I remember chicken foot. And then now he's in the circle with Jason Bonham. And that shit's fucking tight. But regardless, hmm. he was he was in a good band. He had a good solo career. Then he he was in another good band and then had a solo career after that. So, yeah, that's Sammy Hagar. Um, obviously, we all know about David Lee Roth and he was in Van Halen. Then he had a solo career. Then he basically fell off the face of the fucking earth and then ruined Van Halen. And then now he's ruining his solo career, too. So I don't really feel like getting into that one. Uh, I think we can all come to the general consensus that Sammy Hagar has done better than David Lee Roth post Van Halen. Well, if not for anything else but Chicken Foot. Chicken yeah. Foot was a legitimate hit. Yeah. Yep. Um, Danzig, though, next on the list here. That's a big one. I think the thing with Danzig is because if you go back to like Ozzy, it's like the talent you surround yourself with. Mm-hmm. Um, with Danzig, I mean, the Misfits were never going to break into the mainstream, but he had a level of talent with his voice and the energy and like brought that different aesthetic to punk that if you figure the punk scene, especially in the early 80s, you didn't really have a vocalist like Danzig. And obviously, you know, after Earth AD and the sound for him to break out that first Danzig album. I mean, fucking what mother hit on Guitar Hero at one point. Then it wasn't a guitar. I think Hero it was too. the first one. Or it was either the first, first or second, but it was, it was early. Well, yeah, we were talking it, about it was in Grand Theft Auto t- as well. Yeah, it was in Grand Theft Auto. San Andreas. I can't remember which came out first though, with the idea of that song like Definitely getting some main. San Andreas. Mm-hmm. Was it San Andreas? Definitely before Pretty Rock sure Band and Guitar Hero. Yeah. All right. So I mean, either way, it, it kind of like put him towards like a mainstream sound, but allowed that to even make the Misfits bigger than they were because the Misfits already had a huge cult following. But that first Danzig album, I mean, he had two very successful careers. Now even touring as with the Misfits and the original lineup with Dave Lombardo um, and AC Slay. Um, But dude, those those first three Danzig albums actually are just as good, even depending on who you ask, as good, if not better um, than the first like original three Misfit albums that he did with them. I, I'll agree I mean, with that 100%. I wouldn't go that far. 
Dude, I'm saying though, but it all depends because it's such different sounds. So you could get somebody that likes Danzig because of the quality of metal that it brings and doesn't have an ear for punk. It's like that same debate <laughs> yeah, about like metal, like metalheads liking Motorhead and punks liking Motorhead as well, but totally not being able to blend the genre for someone who like really listens to punk and hates metal and vice versa. Yeah. Like Danzig I'm really a, broke that barrier. I'm only really familiar with one and two, uh, the first one in Lucifuge, but, um, yeah, you gotta listen there, to how the gods kill too. Danzig three is fucking awesome. The newest one was complete Boys, shit. Oh yeah, everything. Oh, at, well, yeah. Even everything like four is listenable as well. But everything after four, in my opinion, he got to like Varg's Vergens from like Burzum. Got like got super experimental and weird and like industrial sounding. Pretty much after um, Danzig got knocked out famously on YouTube is probably when his solo career took a tank. Everything went downhill from there. Yeah, yes. like we got to like expose that Danzig. You know, as big as he looked and you know he's just a little guy videos and stuff he's like what he's like my height i'm like five six five five i think danzig (laughs) yeah i think he's like five five yeah i could see like alternative kids in like the late 80s and early 90s who were like and like guns and roses was like their guilty pleasure but like they liked hard rock like danzig being like something they were really excited about like fuck yeah i can listen to i could listen to some hard rock around my uh sonic youth friends or whatever Yeah. yeah But definitely with those like uh, first three, I'm going to say Danzig albums. I mean, because again, I'll, I can't ever compare it to really the Misfits. It's a totally different sound. It's even like, you know, another Misfits singer, Michael Graves. I mean, you go to the Graves era albums are so much different than the Danzig era albums that when people say one era is better than the other, I listen to it. Yes, they're two different bands. Both the Misfits, but it's just two different sounds. Yeah, you can't even compare them. Yeah, it's two different bands. Completely different. So, like, I can't. This was the Misfits for the 90s. Yeah, I'll always go Danzig era is better. It's just my cup of tea, I guess you could say, when it comes to that quality of music. Um, But Graves era Misfits is just as good. I never get to a point where I'm such a fucking loyalist fan that I'll never agree that. I'll never agree that Gray's Misfits era is shit. I, I can never say that. It's it's still good. Well, because that would be a lot. But even him, yeah, like even What's him that? having a solo career. I mean, he never blew up, but he's had some good stuff. I mean, there's a lot of successful Graves albums like Web of Dharma, um, Illusions that he did with Damian Eccles. I mean, a couple of his live albums that he did with the Illusions tour. Um, even even his Gotham Road shit. I mean, he's done a lot of good stuff outside of the Misfits as well. But like Danzig just had a whole nother level of a career. Taking a sidebar here for a second. If you're listening, anyone affiliated with Michael Graves or Michael Graves himself, please respond to our Instagram mm-hmm. messages for I have messaged you a total of five times by getting you on our show. But you are a very elusive man to get a hold of. Please respond. Yeah, it's kind of crazy considering like he's nobody. You know, his level of publicity. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, call bro, it spade like to spade, dude. He's a fucking nobody. He's not answering us. Like when you can, we like, I was listening to one of his live albums, and you can literally hear like the bartender like passing someone a drink because there's just such a thin crowd in there, so you can hear like. <laughs> Like every sound in the bar that he's playing. I mean, if you're listening to fucking Seattle in 89, you're not going to hear someone's like fart glass bottle, like clinking with somebody else. I'm pretty sure I heard <laughs> a dude fucking burp and fart or something in the one video. Yeah, of him I doing say, you can hear that bones. in the background. Bro, I emailed, I, I messaged Graves because I saw him like responding to people's shit and I messaged him. I wanted him to play me and my fiance's wedding in 2022 and this motherfucker like what? You're too good to get paid a couple grand to play a wedding? Are you shitting me? Bro, even Doyle responded to me. 
Yeah, that's crazy. Doyle told me no, but, that, but at least he responded. Yeah, I would take a hard no from Graves at any day. You know what I mean? Like, at the end of the day, I still love your music. I'm going to talk shit because it's kind of disrespectful. Like, you're not like, who are you? And like, I would expect that from Sammy Hagar. Put it that way. Like, last I expect time that even I from checked, Danzig. fucking Doyle sold out fucking Madison Square Garden and fucking, you know, Michael Graves couldn't sell out the fucking bar in Allentown. Bro, he's fucking the chick from Arch Enemy. I mean, yeah. Who, Graves? No, no, yeah. Doyle. Oh, no, not yet. What did Graves I is fucking no. his hand, dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Graves, like, he, he don't, like... Pussy. He's weird, man. Like, I like his music. I like the 90s misfits and everything, but he's weird. I don't know. So, he, like, uh, lost it. I feel like he, like, lost his mind somewhere along the road here. I don't before know. Before we... Yeah, I was going to say, before we get into Connor's pick, I want to just do a fun story about Graves, and this is total folklore at this point, because when I was younger, I believed this from my friends, but to this day, I think it's a complete lie. So I had a friend, most of you know him on the show, his name is Worm, aka Matt, and uh, Worm, and my friend Pat, who is in this band called Decap Attack, shout out to Decap Attack, great band, they apparently were good friends with Michael Graves, because he grew up in a part of New Jersey, and because of the spot he grew up, he played hockey and these guys lived in Audubon, played hockey with him. But apparently there's a story that um, somebody, I think it was Pat's birthday and like my friend Matt got Michael Graves to actually show up. And he showed up with a bunch of sugar cubes laced with acid and they all got <laughs> super high on acid. And for some reason, about 45 minutes while they were tripping, Michael Graves was walking around with his penis hung out the whole entire time. And my buddy Matt was like, yo, I got a small dick, but Michael Graves's dick makes mine look large and i'm like, bro, like i'm 15 <laughs> that years makes old perfect sense. i know now i got this all in my head that every time i think of a dick move by michael graves i have to remember that he has a small penis so this actually gives me comfort in knowing that when he's not responding to my you know multiple messages on facebook and other various social media outlets that he's got a small penis like are we talking like gg allen or we're talking like somewhere around that range yeah. jesus christ yeah like you're probably peeing on your balls when you go to the bathroom. Michael Graves' penis could fit inside Tommy Lee's hole on his penis. <laughs> yeah, his urethra. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Wow. But anyway, moving on to Slash. <laughs> Speaking of dicks, fuck it. Yeah, I mean Slash. I mean, it seems pretty dumb his whole solo career. It's just like, yeah, I'm gonna play through a bunch of effects, and like, there's gonna be vocals on it, and it's gonna be probably someone famous. Well, it's yeah. not even that. It's like, okay, I'm doing a solo career where I'm gonna play all the music that you've already heard by every band I've ever been in. <laughs> it's like, oh, you yeah, want to hear Guns like, N' Roses? No problem. Come to my solo career. Yeah, you, come to my solo career. You like Velvet Revolver? You want to hear some Snake Pit? Yeah. yeah. You want to hear yeah. some Snake Pit? You want to hear some Velvet Revolver? No problem. Come see me and the co-conspirators. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie though. Okay. Miles Kennedy is a motherfucker with vocals. He's he's a good singer. Yeah, but that you can't you can't be like, oh yeah, my fucking solo career, and it's like it's only because this dude's a good singer. Well, I'm gonna say too that Velvet Re uh, Revolver lineup was pretty sweet too for a while. Oh, I agree. But uh, yeah, his, his solo career. I mean, it's just you gotta figure the level that Guns N' Roses hit. I mean, his solo career was kind of just like I'm just trying to keep playing music. I really just want to keep going out there because you don't see him doing dick now that Guns N' Roses reunited and made a couple thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars per show. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, guys like that, I mean, that's just all they have to do is just stay around long enough for a big, you know, formation and be able to go back out there. I mean, look at fucking Motley Crue. 
like 6 a.m. Yeah. God damn. If I only knew that all I had to do to be successful (laughs) was to be a mediocre guitar player in a semi or uh, in a sex successful band and wear a top hat, I would have been doing this a long time ago. Yeah. Mediocre. Yeah. I mean, back then it's all about like personality and image. I mean, Slash's image will carry on forever. Oh, fuck. Yeah. That's the thing, too. And then the next Titan of solo careers, Chris Cornell. (laughs) Undeniable. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, Chris Cornell's probably. Well, I mean, it's really only him and Eddie Vedder, but he's my favorite uh, grunge solo. What about Jerry Cantrell? But. Oh, yeah. Jerry Cantrell. uh, I mean, yeah, I guess Jerry Cantrell's album was about as successful as. um, or his two albums were probably about as successful as Chris Cornell's. He had three albums. He had uh, um, Boggy Depot and Degradation Trip 1 and 2. Uh, okay, I didn't realize he did a second Degradation Trip. Um, yeah, it came out in 02. Um, yeah, I mean, Chris Cornell's got way more albums than that. Oh, but, yeah. And Chris Cornell was still it. doing the solo shit almost right up until he died. Yeah, he just came out with an album when he died. Nearly forgot my broken heart. Yeah. The one higher truth. Yeah. Nearly forgot. This shit's crazy. <laughs> like, I can't hit that. No, <laughs> he's he's got one of those voices, dude. There was something in the water there in Seattle. Yeah, facts. They got that fucking Mount St. Helens ash in the water that just burns out all the bullshit and provides a fucking crystal clear fucking audio projection so we have a band here they were pretty famous but they're one the one dude george harrison went on to have the big success with that song ding dong ding dong that most people know them from but um they all actually had uh pretty good solo careers i mean george was the titan of the group he had the first and last solo number one from any beetle the first being um my Sweet Lord and the last being Got My Mind Set on You and all the way in 1987. Um, but I mean, John Lennon and uh, Paul McCartney had respectable solo careers and uh, yeah. Ringo as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you remember the movie fucking, uh, what was it? 500 Days in Summer? Yeah. Or something? Yeah, I was never a fan. So what i forget the name because i actually went and listened to the album just because of that movie the ringo star album that she picks up in the record store because she swears like ringo's her favorite sentimental um, journey uh, trying to fucking find it man but i i mean i had never I, I listened to george harrison because of you know my guitar gently weeps obviously paul mccartney and john lennon but i had never listened to anything solo by ringo star um, I'm not a huge fan of Ringo Starr's solo career at all. He has some good stuff. Yeah, he has a huge discography, but I'm not. I'm just not a fan of it. And it goes back to because I guess I'm not a huge Beatles fan to begin with, like most typical Beatles fans. But I mean, just solo careers alone of all those guys. Yeah, I'm not a huge Ringo guy. Um, what's the one song? Have you ever heard? Um, fuck. What it's called? Photograph or Year Sixteen? You heard yeah, those? Yeah, I was. I was actually just looking at because I'm looking at his greatest hits album, the very best that came out in '07. That's the lead-off track from. It's from his self-title in '73. Yeah, it's all right. I mean, again, but just the the quality of songs you got from McCartney, 
Um, even some from George Harrison. I mean, obviously we know the smash hit that Connor definitely reminds us of. Um, but again, it's just, I don't know, Ringo's solo career did never just, there's just nothing about it to me that I find appealing. Dude, Good Night from Vienna charted at number 39 on the West German Media Control Albums Chart. <laughs> <laughs> just in case you didn't know. Now, um, here's one. Would you consider Henry Rollins to have had a solo career with the Rollins band? Or would you consider that him yeah, just doing yeah. another band? It's his name. It's yeah, his name. I, I consider that, yeah. I heard, actually, that he never wanted to call it Rollins Band. That was suggested by uh, whatever record label he was on at the time to actually like sell. Yeah, that sounds like a bunch of bullshit. I mean, if he was really Mr. Big Black, Big, uh, Mr. Black, Big Black Flag Badass, then uh, and if he didn't want the band named after him, I'm sure he could have swung it not happening. Yeah, like that's one of the things I'll even tell you, and it may seem petty and stupid, but that's literally one of the things that turns me off about Rollins Band is just the name itself. Like it just sounds so fucking corny. Yep. Like I'm, just came from I'm kind Black of over Flag. Black Flag and Henry Rollins and the whole gambit there. Dude, I'm telling you, damaged, I'll always get into my war. I mean, you go a little yeah, further, but dude. Keith Moore. I like the first four years and damaged and and my war, but um. But like Keith Moore's black flag. It's all right. Yeah, I like Keith Morris better than Henry Rollins for sure. I'll take Circle Jerks too over any Henry or any Rollins band song any day. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, any day. Um, that. Yeah. So I guess to kind of Keith Keith. No, you. What were you saying? Keith Morris gets a bad rap because he was like fucked up, but I mean. Yeah. Yeah. But he did. What he, do you he, want? Yeah, he still put a staple out there with the Circle Jerks and even his original stuff with um, Black Flag from the start. I mean, that's some of the yeah, best. Yeah, honestly, Nervous did. Breakdown is better than anything Henry Rollins did with Black Flag. Yeah. Yep. In yeah. my book. Yep. So I guess to kind now, of wrap this up. Yeah. How? I guess, what do we want to do? Like, pick a particular artist that we think had right, a I good think solo career? Pick or one that we... I, I pick one that you can say was equal or better and then pick another one that you said was an absolute flop compared to their band. Okay. Well, uh, Neil Young was definitely better than every band he was in. I can agree with yeah. that. <laughs> I mean, like, actually some people might that argue. Yep. I saw Neil Young on the list and I was grabbing that one, bud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I noticed <laughs> I mean, some people might argue for CSMY being better than Neil Young, but I mean, they only have what three albums over like forty fucking years. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, I mean, they're basically arguing that De- Deja Vu is just better than any Neil Young album, which I also wouldn't agree with. All right, yeah. so who would you say wasn't as good as their previous band? Um, fucking Slash. Yeah, I can agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, I guess for the artists that had done more or on an equal level would have to be Ozzy Osbourne. One hundred percent. Yeah. Um, you know, basically from Blizzard of Oz on, uh, basically up until like Osmosis, really. And uh, I'll say even Jerry Cantrell and Chris Cornell, too, for kind of keeping it going. Like, no, they weren't as good as Soundgarden, but they kind of did as good as they could. Yeah, I can yeah. agree with that. But uh, the thing with Jerry, though, is that Jerry's solo albums had the Alice in Chains members in them. It, it just wasn't Lane. 
So it was, it was yeah. essentially Alice in Chains just without Lane Staley, which I mean, you could take that at any way you want to, but I don't think his solo, I don't think his solo career had done as well as Alice in Chains though. Do you listen to Boggy Depot and the other two regularly? Not regularly, but I when I did get Boggy Depot, I wore it out. Yeah. Dude, I love Boggy Depot. That that's a fucking good album, honestly. Like that could have been another Alice in Chains album without a question. What do you like better, Boggy Depot or uh, Black is Way to Blue? Boggy Depot. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, because I like wrote on that new- for a long time. I wrote on Black is Way to Blue. I loved that shit when it came out. But like after going like deeper into, you know, Alice in Chains and whatever, like Boggy Depot all day. I have Alice in Chains up until unplugged. Really? Yeah. You didn't like Black is Way to Blue at all? I gave it back to you. Remember? Remember you like gave me your copy and then I gave it back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like it, but I mean, I don't have it. Now, is it because you just didn't like the album or you don't like William Duvall? No, I like William Duvall. I think he does as good a job as he can. Okay. I like I like Black Eyes Way to Blue, and I like the album they did after that. Devil put dinosaurs here. Yeah, that was pretty good too. I I just I just don't have it. That's that's just I never got around to buying it. All right. So what about you, Steve? So my obvious pick for uh, definitely equal, if not better, is Danzig. I think Glenn Danzig's solo career is just as established and prominent as what he did with the Misfits. I think both sounds are kind of like a wide range. I think he did really well with that transition. I think even the more music style, everything. Yeah. Like I said, I think there, you get a level of quality that you can't get from the Misfits, but you get a more enjoyable tunes overall, each Misfits album that he put out. Like it's just, they're both, they're versatile enough where you can listen to both albums and appreciate different sounds and get a lot out of it. Now, the one that's a flop that we didn't mention is Halford, which was Rob Halford's band from Judas Priest. Oh, shit. Um, yeah. So after Painkiller in 1990, that's when he started it. And he ended up releasing, like, I think three or four albums before he came back in 05. He recorded a couple after he came back in 05. But between 1990 and 05, um, it was Tim the Ripper Owens there. And first of all, Priest fell off. It, it wasn't like you figure when Dio came in for Sabbath. It wasn't really Sabbath, but at least you got a decent vocalist and a decent sound out of like Heaven and Hell Sabbath. Like you can listen. There's some songs on there that's good. Oh, yeah. But Tim the Ripper Owens, not a bad vocalist, but Priest just totally fell off at that point. Um, And the Halford albums are, in my opinion, they're fucking terrible. (laughs) Like that that shit was such a huge fucking mistake on his part. I don't even know why you like you just came off a painkiller and then you fucking. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. (laughs) Arguably, probably one of the best fucking metal albums of the 90s yeah that's that's literally that's that front to back is probably yeah one of the best heavy metal albums of all time 100 percent, definitely what, painkiller yeah. yeah 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 so was the death's cover of that on um an album or was that just like in the ether yeah, it was or on sound of perseverance it's the last second to last track i think i think voice okay soul. yes Trying cool yeah. So, yeah, you heard it here. Slash is completely uh, overrated as he was on our greatest or, yeah, our <laughs> greatest guitar player episode. Slash is overrated again with his solo career. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Rob Halford couldn't live up to the hype of Judas Priest on his solo career. 
And George Harrison is still the greatest Beatle. Yes, all day. (laughs) (laughs) So get into our personal suggestions for this week. Um, Actually, I'll start this one off because this is going to basically go into what we were talking about. Um, The artist is Alice in Chains. The album is Alice in Chains. And the song is Frogs. Yeah, it's a good song. Now, okay. my reason for picking this is because to the average, like the average music fan that likes Alice in Chains, they probably know them bones and man the box and all that other bullshit. In my opinion, I believe Frogs should have been one of the singles off of self-titled and not again or grind because I think those two songs are some of the weakest on that whole album in general. And for in my opinion, I think Frogs, if for an, an average music fan. This is the album that people sleep on because it's not dirt or facelift. And yeah. I just feel like there's a lot of hidden gems on this album. And this is one of them. I mean, I'm pretty sure you guys can agree with me on that. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's underrated. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I also feel like this is the, the record where they kind of didn't care. Like, I feel like a lot of it was like forced almost like, all right, we have to get this done. And there wasn't as much well, careful the, and consideration that went into the songwriting process on this album either. I was going to say, too, the, the cool thing about Alice in Chains is just because I relate a lot with, like, obviously the lyrical content and the music. But, like, you can see, like, Lame was just getting darker and darker with each album. Listen to Sludge um, Factory. Especially the studio. Yeah, dude. I Sludge Factory. Honestly, that's, like, when that comes in on Unplugged, man, like, that's always been, like, that one song. It's just so dark. Um, but fucking that album, I mean, they just set the bar so high, dude. That I think that's why a lot of people, like, kind of, like, mistalk, you know, like, don't really bring it up as much in conversation. Yeah. Um, Because they set the bar so high. It's so hard to say that's better than Facelift or that's better than Dirt. Exactly. Um, I, I'll put it above Sap any day of the week, but even Jar of Flies, I mean, it's just really difficult to put that up there with their level of work. I mean, they set the bar so high when they were with Lane. I mean, that's why I feel like I had to bring this up because we do talk a lot about you know, the first four releases from them. And we very rarely yeah. talk about self-titled. Yeah. So yeah, that's my uh, suggestion for this very week. True. Alice in Chains, Frogs. That's probably their most experimental album. I too. can agree with that 100%. Oh yeah. That's that's true. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. All right. So who wants to go next? What do you got, Connor? I got uh Stoner Witch by the Melvins from 94. The key track for the beginner listener, I would say, would be Junebug. Nice. Nice. Yeah. So I'm going to go Stoner back. Witch, and I'm sticking with it. I'm going to go back a little bit earlier and go to 1989 with the album The Real Thing by Faith No More. Nice. Um, okay. I'm... I'm going to say just just because the intro track from out of nowhere is just such a fucking groovy tune. I'm going to tell you, like, that's probably the highlight track for now. Epic's obviously very good. Surprise, you're dead. I mean, there's a lot of good fucking songs on there. Even the cover of War Pigs that's on there. It's so funny. I was going to choose Epic, too, and I chose Frogs instead. Yeah, go, I'm, I'm saying from out of nowhere, I'm going to recommend off that album. But the album's the real thing, 1989 by Faith No. Our group suggestion for this week is to check out the Adam Sandler classic. You guys didn't hear the conversation before the show started, but it could be a general consensus that this is the best Adam Sandler movie of all time. 
The movie in question is The Wedding Singer. Yeah, arguably, arguably his best work, arguably. Yeah. Somebody kill me, please. <laughs> Come on, my name. That whole scene oh, is so. Pretty, that whole please. scene is so fucking funny, dude. Kill me. <laughs> I want to die. <laughs> he's losing well, he's his mind. Before he's like, I've been listening to the Cure a lot lately, so. Yeah. <laughs> It's funny because it sounded more like Nirvana or something than the Cure. Yeah, yeah. well, the, I, yeah, even the lyrical content. He's losing his mind, yeah, but I'm reading the chorus, all the benefits. That's yeah. dude. That scene is so great, dude. Yeah, John Lovett. You just inspired just me to hire a DJ. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've inspired me to hire a DJ. That fucking movie's so oh funny, God. and the Billy Idol's fucking cameo in it. That shit was funny too. Yeah. Yeah, on the plane. Yeah. No yeah. way. <laughs> hey, uh, Billy, can I borrow your guitar for a minute? <laughs> hey, great. Robbie, those record label guys, they'd, run, they'd really want to hear from you. Nobody messes with Billy Idol. <laughs> There's have to be a giant Billy no, Idol like, Nobody coach. messes with Billy. Yeah. <laughs> We're not going to spoil the movie for you. So but then again, if you haven't seen it by now, because this what came out in what, 1996? Just a quick correction. 1998. Okay. Yeah, still, regardless. Yeah, there's no excuse for not seeing this if you're a fan of comedy. Yeah, and it's on the Comedy Central all the fucking time. Yes. And Bravo. Literally, almost. You you can be guaranteed at least once a week it's on syndicated television. Yes, this is true. But, speaking of syndication, this has been Rage Against the Mainstream with our Quarantine Chronicles episodes. Hopefully one of these days we can get back together again. But until then, you can get us on our Facebook at facebook.com slash R-A-T-M podcast, our Instagram and Twitter at R-A-T-M podcast. And as always, we're waiting for your submissions, questions, comments, whatever. Do you think George Harrison wasn't the best Beatle? You can get us at R-A-T-M podcast at gmail.com. But once again, this is Rage Against the Mainstream signing off for the evening. I'm Bill. I'm Connor. I'm Steve. Have a good night, guys. Thanks for listening. Hey, this is Jeff. And I'm Chris. We've been friends. Acquaintances. No, friends. Shipmates. Dude, come on. We've been friends. Fine. Sure. Whatever. We've been friends for 23? No, 24. Whatever, dude. It's been a long time. No kidding. We host a show called Round and Round. We discuss the worst, sometimes the best, headlines we can find, watch for signs of the Cold War heating up again, and desperately try to find some good news to celebrate. Occasionally, we delve into important topics impacting the world, the nation, or those around us. And every once in a while, we take a break from the real world to talk about new movies or to revisit and reimagine old movies we love. Find us at rnrthepodcast.com. Tweet us at rnrthepodcast and download Round and Round on Apple Podcast, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you cast your pods. Join us every Wednesday, won't you? I wouldn't recommend it. That's fine. 